And all the church said, you may be seated. Thank you for that singing. Thank you for leading, Ben. Uh, I'm so happy to be here this morning. Uh, Happy that you're here, that we're together, that we're praising God, that we're worshiping God, and that we're going to study God's Word together. And so I'm going to invite you at this time to reach into your bulletin, pull out the handout that has MPG on one side. If you're visiting with us, MPG stands for Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. It is a way that we take the Word of God, which we think is incredibly important. Uh, The Word of God is inspired by the Spirit. We believe that it is truth, it is power, it is life-changing, and we believe it is to be obeyed. And so we want to take the study of God's Word very, very seriously. And so we want to memorize it, we want to pray about it, and we want to use it somehow in daily life to glorify. And so that's what we're going to do this week. Again, we have a, a scripture for you to memorize that pertains to the message today. Something to be praying about this week as well as an exercise to go through with your family. And on the flip side of it, you'll see a sermon outline. All of the requisite scriptures that we're going to be using today are listed for you and written out so that uh, if you're not really familiar with where some of the books are found in the Bible, we have them written down for you. You can check them out and chase them down a little bit later this week. There's also enough room for you to make some notes and to fill in the blanks. And again, just another way for us to be pressing our mind into the Word of God. Now, as you can tell by the outline, I'm going to be talking about money today. And, you know, I don't apologize for talking about money because I think money is an incredibly important thing to talk about in today's world. But let me give you three reasons that we're going to talk about it this morning. The first is we're getting ready to go into our budget setting time, that budget setting process. It's been about two years. It was actually before the the pandemic, before the COVID-19 pandemic started, that we did this for the last time. So it's been about two years, and we need to familiarize ourselves with the process that our church has adopted in setting our budget. And then number two, and this is a a really great reason, uh, over the last 10 months since the beginning of this year, and so we're not even counting 2020, In 2021, we have added 42 new families to our church family. And that is a a, a phenomenal blessing from God, but it also means that we have 42 families in our church family who have never gone through this process the way that our church does it. And so we want to talk about it a little bit later. Uh, Kevin is going to get up here after the sermon and talk about some of the specifics of that process. And, you know, it'll it'll be... um, It'll be an opportunity, if you're new to our church family, to get an idea of how we set the budget. And then the last reason, and this is, again, one of the reasons why we don't ever apologize about talking about money, is that Jesus talks about money more than any other subject that he addresses in the three years of his ministry outside of the kingdom of God. And what that means is that if you take Jesus seriously, which we do, we are his disciples, If we take Jesus seriously, then we have to take what he said about money seriously. And that is what we're going to do this morning. And I want to begin with an illustration that talks about really the importance of talking about money in every culture, but primarily culture that we're living in, the era that we're living in right now. Now, many of us read and talk about A.W. Tozer's books, a great, great uh, writer in the, the 20th century, some of his more famous books we've, uh, we've quoted and talked about. One book, uh, lesser known, is entitled, I Talk Back to the Devil. And in that book, he gives an illustration that I want to share with you this morning 
Tozer in the book says, imagine yourself in front of this beautiful panoramic landscape, God's creation, sort of like this landscape behind me. The trees, maybe it's the fall, and it's this beautiful landscape that God has made. And then imagine reaching into your pocket and pulling out two pennies, putting those pennies right there before your eyes, and notice what happens. It obscures your view of of the landscape. The landscape is still there, you just can't see it. And the point that Tozer is making is that it doesn't take a whole lot of money to get between you and God. And maybe a second illustration that we might pull out of this, or a second point we might pull out of this, is that just a little bit in the wrong place can obscure our vision of God. Now, you and I, in the world that we live in right now, all of us in this room, myself included, myself especially, we are going to face the same temptation. And the temptation is stated this way. It's up on the screen. The temptation that every human being faces is for money to affect the way that we see God rather than God to affect the way that we see money. The temptation is for money to affect the way that we see God rather than God to affect the way that we see money. And in that is a great liability. Consider these two paradoxes from Scripture. Now, Jesus all the time talks about the kingdom paradoxes. If you want to be first, then you need to be last. If you want to be great, then you become a servant, right? The same thing when it comes to riches. Notice this scripture from Mark chapter 8. This is a a scripture dealing straight up with priorities and discipleship in life. And he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, but then to forfeit their soul? You can gain the whole world, but at the same time, forfeiting your soul. And then in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, this is a quote from Jesus that doesn't come from the Gospels, but from Acts, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So typically we think that you gain everything, then you got everything, and that is more blessed to receive than it is to give. And Jesus is saying, no, absolutely not. There are two paradoxes that he talks about. Paradox number one is this. You can gain everything, and it be a possibility that you lose the most important stuff, that you lose your soul, that you have nothing. You can gain everything and have nothing. Paradox number two in our culture is this, the blessed life is a giving life. If you want to live a blessed life, then you give blessing. Then you give. You give it away. What is it that that God loves? That Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, isn't that an odd thing? I mean, in the world that we live in, cheerfulness when it comes to giving, I mean, it always seems like, you know, it just seems like a hassle. So the question is, Why does God love a cheerful giver? The answer is because He is. God is a cheerful giver. You know, one of the things that we say a lot around here is that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God, and one of the ways that we, as God's image bearers, reflect God's image back into creation is through giving and generosity is not giving one of the more primary ways in fact one of the most prominent ways that God is described in scripture old testament genesis all the way to the maps God is described as a giver think about these verses John chapter 3 verse 16 one of the most famous verses in the entire bible even if you're not a disciple of Jesus you know this verse 
And what does it tell us about God? That God loves the world, right? And because He loves the world, He did what? He gave. God loves and He gives. How about this passage from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6? Paul describing God, To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has given freely to us in the one He loves. What if we were to take that word grace and translate it literally as gift? To the praise of His glorious gift, the thing that He gives us, which He has given us freely in the one He loves. God gives is the biggest giver in the universe. How about this from 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Sort of a longer passage, but it's so rich in helping us to understand not only God as gracious and, and giving, but enriching us with all the blessings that we need. He says, beginning in verse 8, God is able to bless you what? You know, God blesses us abundantly. Let's say it with some pizzazz. God is able to bless you Oh, we can do better than that? I mean, you think about this. You've been enriched in every way. You lack nothing. God is able to bless us so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, that sounds pretty good, right? You will abound, not just survive, not just barely, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, uh, for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and you will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be what? Enriched. You know what that means? To be made rich. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be... You know why God makes you rich? So that you can be generous. As He is generous. Cheerfully giving. As He is a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And then through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Cheerful giving is a sign that we get God. Cheerful giving is a sign that we get God, that we get the nature of God, that we get the heart of God, that we get the work of God, that we get the grace of God, that we get the love of God, that we get God. Giving is practicing a God-like character with a God-given capacity in the God-created world. And you know what that is, friends? That is a recipe for a blessed life. If there are three words that kind of summarizes and boils down, crystallizes this message, it's this. This is the big idea. Generosity is good. Generosity is good. A couple of people by the name of Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson wrote a book a couple of years ago called The, the Paradox of Generosity. And they have a quote that I want to read to you. Now, they're writing from a faith background, but I want to read to you some of the beginning words of this book. Ace Wright, generosity is paradoxical. Now, the reason I say that is because most people think that when you give, you're losing. You're, you're operating from a deficit. They say generosity is paradoxical. 
those who give receive back in turn by spending ourselves for others' well-being. We enhance our own standing in letting go of some of what we own. We better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. End of quote. Generosity is good. And they spend the rest of their book showing how giving as a lifestyle is not a loss. You're not operating from a deficit. You're not operating from a position of losing, but of gaining. And one of the reasons why that is true is because generosity reflects the nature of God. But because we live in a time, and this is the way that it's always been, it's not you know, unique to our own position, our own time, our own, our own place in history, but because that's true, we need to understand how, how to stand back from the forces, from the influences in the culture that we live in to make us less than generous, less than giving, less than cheerful when it comes to giving, and less like God in the way that we live. Now, we're going to go to the text that Michael read just a couple of minutes ago, Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is helping to explain to us, not just theologically and philosophically and intellectually, what the kingdom of God is like, even though there's a lot of that. But the Sermon on the Mount is how do you live? How do you live in the kingdom of God? What decisions do you make? What actions do you take? What, what positions do you adopt for all of life? And in Matthew chapter 6, he begins to talk about some of the things that were troubling to people in his time and troubling to people in our time. And he begins with this point, that you are to give your heart to God or to give your heart to Christ and not to cash, not to treasure. That the key to life is to give that life to your heavenly master and not to earthly treasure. Now, we describe humans not only being made in the image of God, but we spend a lot of time talking about what's wrong with human beings in the world as it is. Because we live in a fallen world, we recognize that we struggle with the fact that we have this God-shaped hole in our heart. And we sense that God-shaped hole, that God-shaped vacuum, emptiness in our heart, we sense it a million different ways every day. And because it's uncomfortable and because it feels like anxiety and because it feels like panic, we tried to fill it up with everything out there except God, including treasure. We are searching, we are looking, we are trying to discover some kind of treasure that we can put in that God-shaped hole that is going to give us significance and it's going to give us security. And having significance... And having security, that we're going to have a sense that we have a footing in the world or that we have some kind of a footing in life. But here's the thing. When you take the words of Jesus seriously, you, you see, you notice, you, you recognize that Jesus never said, he never told anyone that the answer to the really big issues of life the, the, the important questions of life was more cash or more treasure or more possessions. The key was to give your life to God. And so he says to all of these people on the side of the hill there in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In another place, Luke chapter 12, Jesus says it even more bluntly. He says, watch out. In other words, be careful. Open your eyes. Pay attention. Be on your guard against all kinds of, say it, greed. There's a warning out there. Jesus is saying, you've got to beware. You've you got to be careful. You've got your eyes wide open. You've got to be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Not just one kind of greed, but all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, typically we think that the people that have the problem are the people with the possessions, which is not true at all. There are rich people who can be as generous as the day is long, and there can be poor people or people who who do not see themselves as affluent that can be as, as greedy as the next person. Greed is not equated necessarily with what you have in your account. Greed is an obsession with possessions. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Beware against all kinds of greed. The the reason to beware of that is the very significance and the very security that we're looking for in things will never be found in something that is always going to be under threat. It's never going to be solid. It's never going to be permanent. It's always going to be under threat. In the ancient Mediterranean world in which Jesus lived, it was rust and it was vermin and it was moths and it was thieves and it would either corrupt it or eat it or steal it away. It was always under threat. Don't put your hope, don't put your founding, your, your foundation, don't put your footing on something that is under threat. Now the same is true today. I mean, we think we've discovered ways to keep the rust out. And we have alarm systems, and we have traps, and we have mothballs. But guess what? We have the same issue because guess guess what's happening right now in our economy? There's a little bit of a downturn. You know, another way that you can lose your riches in today's world, in this culture, in this era, phone scams, or text scams, or email scams. I mean, there are a million ways that what you have and can possess in your hands can be taken away from you. Your security will never be firm in something that is under threat. If your life's significance is anchored in something that is always under threat, then your significance as a human will always be under threat and it will feel like panic and it will feel like anxiety in this life. There will always be a sense of nervousness. And that's why Jesus says, treasure God. You want a blessed life, a solid life. You want to feel like you have a footing in the world? You want to feel like your cup is overflowing? Trust God, treasure God, treasure Christ, not money. And then Jesus continues in the text, and he tells us we need to beware of the blind eye. Beware of the blind eye. There's this little enigmatic statement that comes next. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, uh, recently I, I, I bought a new book on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's called um, Following the Call. And it's a compilation. Actually, the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, have been divided into 52 chapters or 52 weeks, one a week. And each section of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a compilation of articles written by, article, uh, by, by different authors, many of them you've heard of. Now, there, there is one on this particular passage written by somebody that we've used in sermons and in classes before, Timothy Keller. And... One of the things that he brings out, and I think is insightful, is that if your eye is healthy, your eye is good, and you walk into a lit room, then you can navigate around that room and you can, you know, uh, skirt the traps. You're going to be able to see where you're going. You're not going to stub your toe. But if your eye is not healthy, your eye is not good. In fact, there's a degree of blindness in your eye then it doesn't matter how much light is in the room, you will not see the traps. You will stumble, you will tip, and you will fall. Now, what is he talking about? Well, there are sins that we all recognize, especially when we commit them. We, we not only recognize them in somebody else, but we recognize them, we see them, we recognize them in ourselves. We know when we lie, Right? We know what the truth is, and we chose to not tell that truth. We told a lie. We know when we take something that doesn't belong to us. We know that that doesn't belong to us, but we're going to take it. We've stolen it. We know when we've murdered someone, or we know when we have committed adultery. But how many times in your life have you heard somebody say, you know what, I really have a problem with greed. I'm just greedy. You know what? I have a problem with materialism. In the past 40 years, every sin you can imagine has been confessed you know, in my office except this. No one has ever come into my office and said, Mark, you know, I really need you to pray for me because I'm greedy. I recognize in myself a materialistic bent. I mean, why? Why is that so? How is, how is that so? Well, part of it is because we know we need things to survive, and that's true. We need clothing, we need shelter, we need food, we need transportation. But the problem is that we always know someone that we consider to be richer, somebody who owns more, somebody who has more, and so greed hides itself. Beware the blind eye. And then the final thing, and we're done. Make God your master. Not money, but make God your master. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's say that together. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's say it again. You cannot serve both God and money. And there is a very simple, simple, practical way to do this. 
And all you need to do is just think about how God is your treasure. And one of the ways that God is your treasure is He makes sacrifices for you all the time. In fact, He sacrificed His own Son in order for you to have life. So one of the ways that you make God your treasure is knowing that He sacrificed for you. So why not put sacrifice in your giving? And I don't mean you know, sacrifice in the terms of I'm giving something away. But think about and contemplate and pray about a sacrifice in your giving that reflects the kind of sacrifice that God has made for you. In other words, your life changes a little bit. And then number two, one of the ways that God is your treasure is that He has made you His treasure. He loves you. There is grace that abounds in your life. So ask yourself, how do I lace my money with love and peace and and grace in such a way that it blesses people around me and it communicates in the way that I give that I believe that God has enriched me and has enriched me with His love and His grace and takes care of me? And then maybe a third way would be generosity. Do you believe that God is generous with you? Do you believe that God has been generous with you? every day of your life with you then be generous with others you know this is really why it's kind of exciting to be part of a budgeting process and kevin's going to come up here and talk a little bit about that process again but we have an opportunity not just to be givers but to be cheerful givers to be those that are communicating that we have let go, that we are not bound by these things that we can see possessing other folk because God has enriched us in every way.